Great. One minute. Person next to you. Um, if you could be any animal, you're not a human, you're an animal now. If you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Any animal. Right, you can uh, continue that chat over tea and coffee. Um, who wants to give us your animal? Anyone? Anyone got a really good one? And a reason, yes. A bear moth. Behemoth. What is, does anyone know what that is? In the book of Job. Great. Why do you want to be that? Very big. Good idea. Yeah. Anyone on this side? A sparrow. Why? Get a fly and be fun. Dolphin. Dolphin. Caroline had a dolphin. They surf. Last one, yeah. Panda. Just just because they're cute or cute. Clumsy and funny. That's good. I had um, I had a cat, quite fancy being a cat. Basically sleep most of the day. Get fed when you want. Go and have a stroke if you want a stroke. It's oh. Return to your owners only when you please. Cats would be great fun. Um, it's a good thing nobody said this. Nobody said sheep. Nobody says I really want to be a sheep. Some animals are a little bit of an insult, maybe to be called. You don't call someone a pig, a cow. Some cultures you might, that might be a good thing, but not here. A sheep probably would be something you'd go, I don't want to be a sheep. I don't want to be called a sheep. Sheep, known for being a little bit thick, aren't they? Not the cleverest. Science literally says their brains have shrunk. Liter as in, science has literally said their brains have shrunk. They have poor eyesight. Um, I'm yet to see a David Attenborough documentary called The Amazing Life of Sheep. I don't think he's going to make one. I think apart from Sean, we don't have a famous sheep in pop culture. Pixar have not made a movie about sheep. Um, sheep are very dependent, aren't they? You may find a few wild goats, but you don't really find wild sheep. If they are, they're lost. They need to get back. Sheep need looking after. They need a shepherd. And what we're going to look at today is this story here of Jesus, this claim of Jesus, where in some ways he says we're like sheep. Uh, especially so in Jesus' day in the Middle East. Sheep were really dependent. They had to deal with predators, wolves. We're not talking sort of sheep in the, out in the fields of Oxfordshire. This is in sort of Middle East, pretty rough. Utterly defenceless. They also need grass. They're not, we're not talking lush, lush hills in England. We're talking sort of scraggly, got to go and find some pasture somewhere. Water scarce, they need a good shepherd to lead them to good pasture. And yet, none of us have named sheep, but in the Bible, and here in John 10, humans are most often seemingly described as being like sheep. It's a bit of an insult, it's a bit offensive maybe. We, we like to think we're a little bit clever, don't we? Independent, can think for ourselves. Sheep aren't like that. The Bible says we're like sheep who need a shepherd. In a few weeks' time, we're going to see how Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Just after our passage today, we get that. But today, we're continuing our series looking at the claims of Jesus, and we're looking at the fact that Jesus says, I am the gate. Uh, Americans, for some reason, like to say, I am the door. Not sure why. I am the gate. Um, nothing like the gate you saw in that film we saw either. We're talking, we'll see a little bit later, talking sort of a Middle Eastern-style gate. Wooden, maybe, maybe some brick, maybe in the shepherd himself lying in front of it. And it's a bit odd, isn't it? I am the gate. It's not something you normally see on a pretty card. It's not one of the, the most popular of the top seven I am sayings, maybe. I am the gate. But hopefully by the end of today, we're going to understand a little bit more about what Jesus means. 
and it's, it's glorious. This passage is amazing. So we're going to split into two sections. Firstly, uh, in verses 1 to 6, the true shepherd. Um, and both these sections we'll see, we're then going to look at 7 to 10. They start with Jesus when he says, uh, Verily, verily, if you use the King James Version, or very truly, I tell you, bookend our two sections today. So firstly, we're going to look at the true shepherd. Now, um, if it's the first time you've been with us, or maybe one of the first times you've been looking at the Bible, you'll see down, if you look down on me on page 1076, big number 10 indicates chapter 10. They weren't there when this book was written. Um, this flows so directly from chapter 9. It's the same bit of teaching. He's speaking of the same people. So if you're here last week, you would have seen us look at chapter 9 together. It runs in. Um, and we saw in chapter 9, if you remember, we saw Jesus heal the man born blind. Um, we then saw the Pharisees, the, the Jewish teachers, they questioned that man, didn't they? They questioned his parents even. They were disbelieving as to his story that Jesus had healed him, unwilling to believe that Jesus had healed him. They were blinded to the truth, these Pharisees. And then we see in verse 1 here, verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. So I think we need to understand the metaphor first. We need to sort of take ourselves back 2,000 years. Let's take ourselves, we're, we're going to be Middle Eastern shepherds for a little bit. First century. Um, if Jesus was around today, he might have used different metaphors, maybe. I'm not even going to try and think what metaphors he'd use nowadays. But there'd be different metaphors. But for his readers then, they really would understand these metaphors. So sheep would be uh, kept in a pen, maybe a little bit like that. You can see sort of bark, twigs, sticks, little gate there. Could be something like that. A little bit more of a professional setup there for sort of the, the better of the shepherds. And sometimes that pen would be in the middle of the village, sometimes slightly outside the village. In that pen would be the sheep of all the village. Um, there could be numerous flocks in one pen. Numerous shepherds responsible for numerous flocks. And then, as we saw a little bit in our passage here, and it's, uh, this isn't an allegory. We're not going to be able to pull meaning from every single thing which it says here. But you would have got under shepherds, which would act as gatekeepers. They would stand in that gate or stand in that gap there. Um, and they would let the shepherds come in and out and take their sheep out. They'd recognise them. They'd give them a little nod, wouldn't they? They'd kind of go, right. Morning, Ewan. You come to get your sheep? Yeah, great. Anyone they didn't recognise, they wouldn't let in. That's how it would work. And in verse 1 here, Jesus is saying the Pharisees are now like the... Uh, they're now like the shepherds who... Um, they're not like the shepherds at all, sorry. The they're like thieves and robbers who aren't like true and real shepherds. True and real shepherds, like we said, would be like Ewan. They'd walk up, they'd nod, they'd be let in. Jesus is saying the Pharisees are not like this at all. They're like thieves and robber, robbers. And the, what he's saying basically is they're rubbish leaders. So the idea of leaders being likened to watchmen, under shepherds of God's flock is throughout the Old Testament. You see it back in the book of Ezekiel massively and throughout. And here God is describing the Pharisees who he's speaking to, who have just been with this blind man, uh, as like thieves and robbers who do not know the sheep. When the man blind from birth was healed. Instead of marvelling at what happened, instead of delighting with him, they, they queried him, they insulted him, they disbelieved him. Sheep stealers were very common back then. Sheep, valuable commodity, very common. And Jesus is pointing out that true sheep know their shepherd. They run away from the thieves, the false teachers. Because Jesus here, he's claiming to be the true shepherd. And as he says, this is meant to be a rebuke to the Pharisees who did not recognise him. They're the primary audience in this little bit here, the Pharisees. See it in verse 6, 
verse 6 of our, our chapter. If you look down with me, the little 6 above it, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. He's making a dig. It's not a massively subtle dig at the Pharisees. He's saying he is the shepherd which the watchmen recognize. He is the one who comes in the front door. He is the true shepherd. And like the Pharisees were were blinded to understanding who Jesus was in chapter 9. Here again, they're unable to understand the true identity of Jesus. And then Jesus goes on after verse 1 in this little metaphor here. He describes more of what this true shepherd is like. Let me read it again. It says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he is brought out all his own he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they'll never follow a stranger in fact they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice two main things we see here oh, there's a there's a shepherd for you standing in front of his sheep then we see firstly the true shepherd knows his sheep see it there he calls them by name he knows each of his sheep individually as we said the the sheep would have all been in one pen the shepherd would come in, you and again, he's going to come in, he's going to call out sheep by name. If you can think of some names for sheep, feel free. But this shepherd, he spent time with his sheep. He spent the whole year with them probably. We're not talking sheep which were reared, fattened up, killed. These weren't bred for meat, but for milk and for wool. They lived for a number of years. He knew these sheep. And Jesus knows his people. He knows you. He doesn't just know their names. He knows them. In John 4, feel free to flip back to it later, flip back to now if you want. We see Jesus, he meets a Samaritan woman at the well. Some of you may know that story, but basically he meets a woman, he encounters, she encounters Jesus and then she goes back to report to the villagers what happens. And she says this, she says, well it says this in the Bible, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, which was he told me everything I've ever done. He knew me. He knew everything about me. Jesus knows you. He doesn't just send out a general invitation. He gives a specific one. He says, John, I'm here for you. He says, Helen, I'm here for you. He says, you and I'm here for you. He doesn't just know our names, though. He knows exactly who we are. It's not like a, a school teacher, first day of term, they've memorized the names of their kids. Well played. Good if that's you. But by the end of the year, they know them, don't they? You know the kids in your class. This is, this is real love. Jesus knows us. And to each of his sheep, he says this, he says, I've known you since before you were in your mother's womb. He says, I remember that first day you walked. He said, I was there at your first day of school. I was there when your parents split up. I was there when your dad died. When you failed that exam, I know you. I know about that. When you won that big match, I know that. When you didn't get that promotion, I was there, I know that. In all your ups and downs, I was there and I know you. All the lows, all the highs, I know you. I know what you love to do. I know what you don't love to do. I know what you wish for. I know what your dreams are. I know you and I love you. I know who you really are. This is the shepherd. He, he's not like a Facebook friend who adds you and then you have to check their picture. If you've done that, if you've got face, you have to check the picture and say, who on earth actually is this? I recognise my name, but I've not seen you for 20 years. He's not even like one of your old school friends you bumped into in the streets. He actually knows you. Our politicians, they don't know us. Our favourite sports star, our band, our author, they do not know us. Even our boss, they don't really know what makes us tick, do they? 
Even your spouse doesn't, doesn't know you in every aspect, probably. Well, they don't. God does. And how amazing is it that when you look up at the night sky, you've probably got to go out to probably more where sheep are likely to be because of light pollution and all that jazz. But when you look at the night sky, when you see the stars, and you can say, I know who made those stars. And he knows me, intimately. I know him and he knows me. How amazing that is. This is the true shepherds. He knows them by name. And then secondly, we see the sheep know his voice. See that in verses four and five. When he, was, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. These sheep, they're not, they're, he's not got a sheepdog, this shepherd. It's not sort of Western style of shepherding from what my research on sheep shepherding this week. It, it, they, they lead them, they follow them. He goes out ahead of them. And the sheep know him, and so they follow him. They don't follow strangers. He's saying here, Jesus is saying, don't let anyone else shepherd you. Stop listening to other voices. Listen to my voice. Because my words are life, and my words are truth. Earlier in John 6, he says this to his disciples. He says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Simon Peter, one of his disciples, then answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. His words have life. So stop listening to anyone else. Say this to myself. Who are you listening to? To what drum are you marching? Are you letting God's words and God's promises drive you? You see, there's many sheep in them. There's many voices. Only his is worth listening to. Are we instead maybe listening to a voice which says that money and wealth is more important than anything else? That says status is king. The voice that says you're not known. The voice that says you're worthless. The voice that says God is not in charge. What about the voice we hear today so often in today's culture that the Bible isn't relevant anymore? It's not really to be read literally at all today. Which voices are we listening to? Verse 5, they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Do we run away from these voices? Or do we listen to them a little? And then a lot? The sheep actively run away from the stranger. Let's run away from untruths. Let's run away from voices which aren't God's. And to do that, we need to know his voice, don't we? We've got the words of life. We have them here. So let's learn it as we see them in the Bible, as we, as we read it in the week, as we gather in small groups and growth groups. And if you're, you're not in a small group or growth group, come speak to me afterwards. We'd love you to, to meet in the week. We have lots going on as people meet together to read the Bible. It's what we do because these words have life. It's not listening to us rabbit on. It's look at the Bible. It's why we say keep your Bible open whenever we speak. So we let this speak to us. As we gather on a Sunday, as we read it daily in our homes, know his voice. He knows you. He knows you by name. Listen to his voice. That's what we see, firstly, about the true shepherd. Secondly, we see life to the full through the gate. Verses 7 to 10. Let me read them again. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now we get it here. Jesus says he is the gate. What on earth does that mean? We get he's a good shepherd. We see that picture throughout scripture. He's the gate. I think he has two main things he's trying to teach us here when he says this. Firstly, sheep who enter through the gate will be saved. And only those sheep who enter through the gate will be saved. It's the only way in a gate, isn't it? It's the only way out of the sheep pen. We saw it. You see there as well. Middle Eastern shepherds would sometimes sleep in the gap in the wall. They'd sometimes act as a physical gate, protecting the sheep from predators. Come to Jesus, he's saying, follow him and you will be saved. I wonder when we think of salvation, what do we think of? To be saved, you have to be saved from something, don't you? We've talked on that before, how the good news of the gospel always has to come in light of the reality. To have good news, you have it comes in the context of the bad in some ways. See, we believe here, we believe the Bible teaches us that all of us are like sheep who've gone astray. All of us have rebelled against our shepherds, said we can live on our own. The Bible calls us sin. It's foolish as we see when we're like sheep, wandering and lost. And it says the right punishment for this rebellion is permanently being away from our shepherd. Death. Hell. Separation from God forever. And we're going to see it later, though, gloriously in our series, in verse 11, how that relationship has now been restored. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus makes it possible to be saved as he lays down his life in place of ours. This is what salvation looks like. And following him, Jesus is saying, is the only way to receive the salvation. We'll look at one of the I am sayings later. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. And it goes against the pervading view in society today, doesn't it? The one in your workplaces, the one the people you hang out with. Because we, we love diversity, don't we, in this culture? We embrace it, which is great. But we, we embrace it where culture says, you believe in your God and I'll believe in mine. Or I won't believe at all. Pluralism, the belief that there are many ways to God, many ways to eternal life. And Jesus says here, and I'll put it bluntly, he says that's rubbish. Just not true. There's an old tale, some of you might know it, about four blind men and an elephant. It's not necessarily a politically correct tale, it's just an old one. But as the story goes, each man is stationed around an elephant. Their experience of this elephant is limited by, by what they can feel, what is within their grasp. The man standing by the leg decides, there, oh, this is like a tree, it must be a tree trunk. The man holding the tail says, oh, I've got a rope. The trunk, the trunk of the elephant, the man says, oh, it's like a snake. And the side of the elephant, maybe it's a wall. Each of them interprets their elephants according to their own experience. And the moral of the story, it's a simple illustration, is that none of us has the full range of truth. We each have our corner of it and our own unique perspectives. They colour our understanding of the whole. And what people like to argue, what pluralists want to argue is they say, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews, Christians, whatever it might be, each just has a corner of the truth. We're gathered around the same God. We all believe in the same God. However, that analogy fails, for it assumes that we're actually in the privileged position. We're not blind. We can see this truth. 
we can go, oh, well, of course it's an elephant. And that's exactly what the illustration is meant to be denying. It's also just bad theology. <laughs> no Muslim would ever accept the Trinity. No Hindu would happily accept there is one God amongst many. And interestingly, it's implied that what is needed is some kind of outside revelation to tell the blind men what it really is. And that's basically what Christianity claims to be, God telling us the bigger picture. Jesus is telling us the only way is through the gate and that he is the gate. It's uncomfortable maybe in today's society to say that. He's the only way. He has seen what we cannot see and he has come, he is God himself and he's come to tell us what truth is. Or maybe more precisely, who truth is. To believe in him alone for salvation is to be a Christian. Nothing else counts. And the gate offers salvation. So that, firstly, we see that. Secondly, we see the sheep who enter through the gate will have life. You see, not only are we saved from something, this is where it's glorious. We're saved for something. The sheep don't just need safety, they need pasture. See, imagine you were a sheep in that pen. I know most of you want to imagine you're Bearmouths or whales or whatever you were saying. But imagine you're a sheep in that pen. You'd gaze longingly at that gate, wouldn't you? Maybe for the five seconds a day your brain works. You'd gaze longingly at that gate and you think, oh, I remember. That gate's the only way to the beautiful grassy pasture. This is how Jesus wants us to look at him, as the only way out to life and life in its fullness. He's the only true shepherd, he is saying, and he's the only one who can offer us true life. Anyone else is a thief who's only out to steal and destroy. The shepherd takes the sheep to pasture. A thief takes them to market. It's in coffee number one this morning. Had a little mural on the wall about Sheep Street. I was trying to think, who on earth would ever name a, a street after a sheep? Bister. Bister does. But it's that sheep market. Thieves steal and destroy. They take the sheep to market. But the shepherd takes the sheep to pasture. Jesus, he's probably got in his mind some of the nationalist revolutionaries of the day. They would promise freedom. They say, we're the shepherd, follow us. But in reality, they could only deliver, like all political leaders, a poor little mess instead. And this isn't how we view Jesus, though, isn't it? So often, we don't often view him as giving us true life. It's often how I don't. I have such a small view of God. But this is what he says is true. I don't know what your view of Jesus in the Bible is, but you, maybe you just see rules and regulations. Life-sapping things. I was having dinner with some friends on Wednesday. We chatted a little bit about getting drunk. They were off to a hockey tour this weekend. They were very much looking forward to it, but they said, in their words, it would be quite messy. It came up that at university, um, I didn't drink um, for a number of reasons, but one I wanted to, in Peter's words, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that I have. And I felt that God in the Bible is pretty clear when it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled by the Spirit. He said, my friend said this, he said, do you not think you'd be missing out on the university experience? And of course, at times I felt that. Of course I did. But, but here we see no, because it's best to follow the shepherd. The shepherd offers true life in all its fullness now. We can trust his voice. Didn't always get it right, of course. None of us do. But the point is, Jesus isn't a killjoy. God doesn't set up rules and try and sap our fun. He says that by following my wisdom, you will have true life in pasture in all its fullness. If a sheep is going to enjoy life to the full, it needs a shepherd who will lead it to a lush pasture. The shepherd knows what's best for his sheep. 
if we're going to enjoy life to the full, we need to have a shepherd who can lead us into relationship with God, and this is what Jesus came to do. Notice, though, with me, this promise is not just for life ever after. It's for life to the full. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's not just a new length of life. There's a whole new quality to it. Think, get back to the mind of a sheep. With the imagery of sheep, we can imagine a big, fat, well-fed, woolly sheep feasting on luscious grass, not scraggly wasteland. They're in pasture, unlike pasture they've ever seen before. You see, the life Jesus brings isn't just more life of the same. And if you don't follow Jesus here today, hear this. The life which Jesus offers you now is epic. Now. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. We get his name. Jesus spoke to him pretty directly. And he spoke to him in chapter 3. He said that the life he came to bring was like being born again. Jesus is saying that this is the difference between life with him and life without him. It's categorically different, like being born again. It's not just a slightly better version. It's not just a slightly more rounded version of your old life when you come to Christ. It's a whole new relationship with the God who made us. From enemies to friends. Remember, he knows our names. Think of the blind man. Think of a difference in the blind man's life in chapter 9 from being totally blind from birth to now having sight. That kind of difference is the life Jesus offers us now when we follow him. And it comes from knowing and following the shepherd through the gate and into the pasture. It's an arrogant claim, isn't it? It's a big claim. It's a bold claim. If you're a Christian here today, I hope you say it's true. My life is so much different now than it has before. Maybe when you're sitting having tea and coffee, ask somebody, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you came to follow Jesus. Tell me what life was like before. Tell me what life likes now. It's a great story to tell. Life without Christ, however, is a little bit different. C.S. Lewis, famous Oxford-based writer. I love him. I think he's very helpful on a number of things. He puts it like this. It's a great little image. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Let's not be too easily pleased, friends. Let's follow the good shepherd through the gate and into the pasture. Let's not veer off then to that scraggly bit of grass which lasts for five seconds, five minutes, whatever it is. Let's follow the good shepherd into the lush pasture, life in all its fullness. Jesus alone sets us free to enjoy life in all its fullness. So let's not settle. Do we know this Jesus? Not one who comes to steal our fun, not kill joy, but one who comes to offer us life in all its fullness. As we've said, some of those things in the Bible which Jesus says, they're not just helpful pointers. They help us see how life in all its fullness is meant to be lived. The world wants to scream countless other things will satisfy us. They'll make our lives fuller. More drink, more money, a better car, a promotion, whatever it might be. Some of those are good. They're good gifts from God, but they're not to be the ultimate. Jesus came so we might have life and have it to the full. And that life comes through following him through the gate and into pasture. So friends, let's, let's delight that the shepherd knows us. Let's not, let's not move past that. That's a magnificent truth. He knows you. Let's listen to his voice. 
Let's learn his voice. Let's study it in the Bible so we can listen to it, so we know what's his voice and what are other voices. And let's obey it. We can trust his voice and his alone. Let's avoid anything which draws us away from solely trusting in him for life now and for eternity. And let's embrace life in all its fullness now if you trust in him. Let's stop being too easily pleased. Let's find and pursue joy in him and through him and him alone. We're going to sing now. John's going to jump up. We're going to sing in Christ alone our hope is found. And we're going to sing that as our prayer and response to his word today. So do stand if you're able and let's sing in Christ alone.